welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We've got a great hour ahead of us. Uh, we've got Chris Balzer, the bicycle fit guru in studio with us. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Great to have you here. Uh, we've got lots to cover. Um, before we get into the details of what you do and how you help people, I want to give the typical uh, track. We always give a Velodrome uh, News World update. And so we've got lots of things uh, to talk about. The Milton Velodrome in Canada was just announced as one of the World Cup uh, locations for this coming season. So that's exciting. People in North America get a chance to see some of the best bike racers in the world coming uh, to our shores. Um, the Detroit uh, Velodrome is starting up their racing season in uh, three weeks, I think, is their first race uh, toward the end of the month. And so that'll be a lot of fun. I know we've got at least uh, one person from the U.S. or from the Twin Cities, I should say, who's going uh, to be a part of that. Um, and then the London six-day race is coming up uh, toward the end of the month, and that's always a fun kickoff to the pro track cycling season. Um, and we've got a couple of racers from uh, the Twin Cities who are going to Masters World Championships in Manchester, uh, leaving next week, uh, Daniel Casper, and uh, who I know is a client of yours, Chris, mm -hmm. uh, and Pat Whelan is also going to be going out there uh, to represent the Twin Cities and National Sports Center community out at Masters Worlds. So lots of stuff going on in the track cycling world uh, today. Uh, so Chris, tell us a little bit about bike fitting. What is a bike fit? So bike fitting can be, it can range from anywhere, anywhere between just, you know, getting somebody at the right saddle height mm -hmm. and it reach that's comfortable for them to uh, doing complex assessments and figuring out what's wrong with their body and mm -hmm. finding a way through bike fit to make that, um, to address that issue, mm -hmm. to working on aerodynamics um, and addressing individual's objectives. Mm -hmm. And when does someone typically come to you for a bike fit? I mean, is there a standard time? Is it, you know, hey, I'm broken and I can't work my bike or I want to get faster and I need some fine tuning? Typically, it's when somebody's looking to get the right size bike mm -hmm. because uh, pre-fitting is the only way to really ensure that you're going to get a bike that yep. when you get on it will be the right size given the fact that geometry changes between manufacturers. Sure. The other uh, group of people are smaller, and those are the people that are just looking to prevent injury. Mm. But I would say that the majority of people that come to see me are already injured or having some kind of a symptom, some, right. dis some discomfort that they haven't so, been able to get resolved somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, my knee hurts and I can't figure out why. Yep. Yep, interesting. And uh, what are some of the goals that you have when you work with a, with a cyclist that comes in? I mean, what are some of the things that you try to achieve through bike fit for them? I think it's different for everybody. I mean, whatever they need. Yeah. Um, it varies so much between people that I can't really give you a standard answer, but I do believe that a person who's relaxed on a bike mm -hmm. um, will ride that bike better. They can train, get better training effects, um, mm -hmm. and their body will release into a more aero position without me having to impose it on them. Interesting. And is, and is that aerodynamic? We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about these details, but I'm curious about that. Is that aerodynamics kind of one of the, the primary goals that you try to have for folks? It. It depends on the person. Sure. Um, depends on their age, depends on their discipline, depends on how competitive they are. Mm -hmm. I'll never, I'll never um, put aerodynamics uh, before function. Right. I think that's really a, a strong trend in our industry now is that mm -hmm. people are, you know, like, oh, I got aero optimized. And I'm like, well, that's great. But how do your hips feel? How right. does your back feel? How yeah. can you run off the bike if you're in triathlon? Your, your power went down by 50%. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have to change your body to be able to be more aero. You can't just, in my opinion, be aero. Now, there are tricks, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I set up a lot of people short of cranks, and I move mm -hmm. the saddle way forward, and there are little things you can do to get around it, and I think those are all, all valuable and effective, but ultimately, 
You have to change your body. Mm-hmm. Yep. Are, do you see that you've got kind of a typical, you've been doing this for a number of years now. Do you have a typical client? No. No? Nope. Everybody's different. And Everybody's different. And, yeah. I think that's the most interesting thing about the business is I've been doing it for 30 years and I, over the years, I've, I've come up with, I, I like to have, my mind says, this is what you're going to do. Yeah. And 99% of the time I'm wrong. Hmm. Really? Yep. Interesting. So how long into the fitting session does it take before you kind of get a sense of what really needs to change? I mean, how long does it take to go through that and figure that out? It varies. I mean, I, I, uh, I think that once they've gotten on the bike and I've, I've, I've started to explore how well I can move their body, mm-hmm. then I get a sense of how much I can do. Sure. Sometimes people are stuck. Yeah. You know, they have something going on uh, that requires an off-bike intervention. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of the time, I'd say probably the majority of the time I can get them where I need to be and figure it out within about 20 minutes. And then the rest of the session and follow-up is to make sure that that worked. Right. You, uh, you mentioned you've been doing this for 30 years. How did you get started as a bicycle fit? Uh, specialist. I started fitting actually when I was uh, working with the Pedros New England mountain bike team. No kidding. Bunch of kids, yep. And they got whatever scrap bikes they could get and I was playing around with their fits and at that time I had a completely different idea of what was good. I was putting the saddles way too high Mm -hmm. and you know like oh if you get more extension you go faster and blah 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 blah. Mm. Um, So that's how I got started and I really got serious about it when I was in I was in a doctoral program in Pittsburgh and I had gotten my master's out there and I was not interested in what I was doing, and I, I, I was racing pro elite mountain bikes, and I saw some stuff that didn't look right out there, and I'm like, I wonder how that guy could be so fast, looking like that on his bike. <laughs> um, but I've always been mechanically inclined, and I went and saw a doctor who I won't mention because I was having some knee pain, and he said, oh, you know what? You will never race bikes or run again because it wow. was chondromalacia, pretty significant chondromalacia. I, I thought about it, and to me it made sense that it's just a joint. Right. And that the muscles are what are creating this, right? The right. tension of the muscles, the quadriceps pulling the kneecap into the trochlear groove, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. Right. And so my, my interest shifted, and I had access to Medline. Back then there was no internet. It was 2,400 baud. You could yeah. get, you know, if you could really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I had Medline. So I started doing research using the mm. university database and just started uh, researching uh, biomechanics, kinetics, kinematics, um, neurology, really fascinated with neurology. Wow. And then um, I was able, some I, I could transfer that into the bike, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the harder things to do because, you know, research is done on bipedal activity standing. Right. Um, and we're the only species that has a lumbar curve, which is really? good for standing. Huh. Yeah. So we're meant to stand. We're not meant to bend over. And when you bend over, I think it's better to, to uh, think of the, of the, the cycling position is a quadruped, mm-hmm. you know, like an animal. Right, on all sure. fours, and yeah. they, they all have kyphosis, lumbar kyphosis, not mm-hmm. lordosis. Wow. And so obviously there's a lot of stuff going on, but what you said, you know, about static position and standing and that kind of thing makes me think the motion and the constant change in position while you're riding a bike obviously has a big impact on what's going on with your body, right? So you can't just take a snapshot in a, in a bike fit and go, yep, that's perfect. And then everybody walks away happy, right? Absolutely. You know, I, 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 I am a strong believer in the follow-up. Mm-hmm. I'm a strong believer in being able to, to test whatever I've done mm-hmm. in real life and letting people know that I'm not God. I don't, I don't have a magic wand that, yep. I, that it, together we're going to figure this out and make it work well. Yep. Um, and a lot of it is, is a lot of my time is spent teaching them how to pedal, mm-hmm. teaching them how to sit, 
teaching them how to breathe. Interesting. You know, because we just don't know. You can't see yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And as they're all, I mean, I think about my own cycling and how that's evolved over the years in different disciplines, you know, whether you're riding the fat bike down the street or riding the track bike, you know, everything is different depending on the bike you're doing and the discipline you're involved in too, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So you talked a little bit about how some of the things that you had thought initially when you were working with the Pedro's team uh, were not what you think today. How does, how has your philosophy evolved over time? Well, back then I was, at first I was just dumb trying to figure stuff sure. out and I had kids and it was in the late eighties and bike fitting wasn't a thing. You right. Know, I, I didn't even think what I was doing was bike fitting. I was just making it so they could, I wanted to make them faster. Yep. I didn't have a name for it. Um, when I got into bike fitting, I thought I was pretty freaking good. <laughs> it's true. I mean, the, the, and I think that's what happens to a lot of fitters. We go away for three days or whatever and you get, you they get a conference, certification and, conference yep. and you come back, I'm a pro shut up. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and the reality is, is that I know less now. I am sh- less sure of anything now than, than I've ever been. I mean, back in the day, we used to ride the, these, you know, was line the brake, brake levers up with the base of the bar. Yep. You only had quill stems and everything was perfect and absolutely great. Yeah. Everybody's riding a Celitali flight, just mm-hmm. slam it back. I just slam the saddle back and drop the bars. Yep. And you're fit. <laughs> you are going to be fast. You're going to be fast, man. <laughs> and, and the thing is, it's so crazy about it is that, that my consciousness surrounding that was real. Like, yeah. I really thought. Right. And I think one of the problems with bike fitting is everybody tells you, you know, when you make, you don't have to do much to make a bike fit better. Right. Right. I mean, and then you're God. Oh, yep. thank you so much. Chris Balzer's the best. He's the best bike fitter, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, it, it's not true. And the fact is, anything better than crappy is great, you know? <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Which I think is what promotes that idea that they, I have all the answers or that mm-hmm. a bike fitter has all the answers or a yeah. PT or whatever. And the fact is, um, over the years, what I have learned is that the most important thing is to put the person's a positive outcome mm-hmm. first. Um, to treat them as I, like I would want to be treated. Yeah. You know, I have a neurological disease. It was tough, man. I mean, I, I saw a lot of people. Nobody could figure out what's going on. Yeah. And, I never felt like anybody really cared entirely about making me have a good outcome. Hmm. And that's, to me, the most important thing. And, and in route to that, staying humble enough to mm-hmm. realize that this is, in, in, it's the purest form of science. You know, it's, you, you form a hypothesis, you test the hypothesis, you say yes or no, yes or no, yep. and you repeat that over and over again. You don't say, this is the fact, yep. answer, and I'm going to apply it. Right. Have a good day. Right. And then if somebody complains, show them the research to support what I did. <laughs> it's you're there. You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. You're not feeling that. Yep. Interesting. So, and the other thing that I think is really, um, so have that, having an open mind mm-hmm. um, and learning from my mistakes. Yeah. Well, over a course of 30 years, you probably have a lot of data to draw from Oh yeah. Uh, to, you know, sort of build your current thought process. Yeah, yeah. So when somebody walks through the door, for their session. Talk us through what that process is. What's how, how does a bike fit session work? So a person comes in and I sit down, I talk to them, mm-hmm. trying to figure out what's going on, get a little bit of history. Um, bones, you know, I think that um, a lot of the stuff that you would, that you could use to help in a physical assessment for somebody who's walking or standing or yep. running doesn't apply for cycling. Hmm. Um, sometimes I have to find their issues, yeah. you know, on the bike because they just, they're not really conscious of them. Mm. So we do that, get a history, objectives, figure out what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have them stand. So I don't do, I don't go through a huge uh, pre-fit evaluation. And the reason for that is because a lot of it doesn't make sense mm. for cycling. Like, you know, PT evaluation, you're, 
check the range of motion of the knee. Well, sure. the, fat, the hip, I mean, it doesn't matter if I can get the hip, the, the, the foot at 45 degrees because mm -hmm. they're never going to do that. Right. Um, I'll review what they're currently doing for mm -hmm. strength training mm -hmm. uh, to see if they're doing it right. Mm -hmm. Usually the form is wrong. Um, and or what they're doing for PT. A lot of people come to me that have been P in PT for a long time mm -hmm. or had PT bike fits that didn't work out or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, clams, you don't clam on a bike. Right. You know, clamshells. Yep. Um, I get them on the bike. I look and see what's going on. Mm -hmm. As my daughter Zoe likes to tell me, I look at their butt a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's like, Daddy, you just look at their butts all the time. I'm like, but but the reason I'm what I do is is to me the foundation is really the pelvis. So yep. I'm looking to see if the pelvis is moving uh, evenly in either direction, mm -hmm. whether or not they're driving the pedal stroke or getting driven by mm -hmm. the pedal stroke, how they're breathing, yep. how much tension's in their body, where it is, whether mm -hmm. it's on one side or the other, and then I start moving things around. Um, typically, I like to uh, make sure that they have a comfortable seat to start mm -hmm. because if they don't have a comfortable seat, they will. there's nowhere to go. Right. Um, this, the saddle does, you know, the idea that we should just be sitting on our sit bones, I'm not really, yeah. I'm not aligned with that. I think, you know, you've got these bones, these Rammy that run. Yeah. Let's get as much as we can yep. under us mm -hmm. comfortably. Yep. Um, because it helps unweight the upper body. Interesting. And that has a huge impact on the position. Yep. My objective, if I have an objective physiologically or um, biomechanically, it's to make it so that the upper and lower body can function independently. Mm -hmm. And I, they're never independent. But what ends up happening a lot of times is people's low backs impact because they attach to the ilium, which right. attaches to the lower body, yep. impacts the pedal stroke, impacts the diaphragm function, yeah. Impacts everything. Mm -hmm. So if I can differentiate upper and lower body mechanics and get the upper body to relax, and that yep. more is a, is a lung and a steering mechanism, mm -hmm. um, that's the best outcome. And so how long do you have them just ride in front of you before you can start to see some of those things play themselves out? Well, I think, I think the joke is um, typically about five seconds. Really? I don't believe in letting people warm up on a bike because if there's any kind of a connective, if there's any muscle imbalance, the mm -hmm. connective tissue warms up and it kind of goes away. Sure. So I, what I do is I look at them and it takes me about five seconds to see what I have to start doing. And wow. then I start doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and actually they spend more time on the bike as I have refined the adjustments because there's no reason to spend a lot of time pedaling right. when your saddle's three centimeters too high. Right. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And so you're really fine tuning almost right out of the gate. Oh yeah. 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 And, and one thing that I, that I'm grateful for is that I did start fitting so long ago that mm -hmm. I don't rely on like video cameras or joint angles because I just see it. Yeah. You see it. It's like, if you look at something enough, they get on the bike, I'm like, saddle's too high. Yeah. Hop off. It's, uh, I'm curious too, to think, you know, so many people have different ways of pedaling, right? You know, on the bike, I'm a masher, right? Yep. Uh, cadence is not my friend. But I've got a friend who's a complete mountain goat, and he just spins. Like he, he can't get a gear gear ratio small enough. Mm -hmm. um, and does that affect how you approach somebody's uh, bike fit? I mean, well, it does, um, and it doesn't. So one thing I would tell a masher is go out and spin, and I yeah. tell a spinner to go out and mash mm -hmm. because it's not that you need to be. I don't. I don't believe that one is one hundred percent better than the other. Mm. There's research showing that one hundred and twenty RPM we can create the most force, but if it's not sustainable and if you're bouncing all over. Right. Um, but I do think it's important to strengthen our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I would say do both. From a fit perspective, yes. A masher is going to have the cleats typically further back on the shoes mm -hmm. because 
it's more like doing a squat, right? Where the person who's a spinner is going to want to be that they get a little bit of snap out of the ankle and the mm -hmm. quadriceps. So they want to be dancing on their toes. Dancing on their toes. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And so, do you try to migrate people to a more neutral approach then, as you go through a fit, or do you do you sort of feed into okay, I'm a masher. Are you going to just let me have my my pedals? No, no, because sometimes a masher's so it, it really depends on foot function. Somebody's got sure. a really rigid foot. Mm -hmm. Um. It does a lot of crit racing. Yep. Maybe I'm going to have their cleats a little bit further forward because I need them to be accelerate really quick. Right. Right. The, the, the cleats further back, they tend towards like a, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, going to ride forever. Yep. Um, so no. And and foot the foot form function and the way that their body interacts with mm -hmm. the pedal force reaction on the bike right. tells me what I need to do with the cleat, mm -hmm. where they're going to be fore aft, and everybody's completely different. Sure. And... What are some of the outcomes? So obviously position on the pedals, position on the saddle, handlebar, position, height, all of that. Those are outcomes of a fit. What else are potential outcomes for somebody in terms of changes to the to the bike or the way they ride? So I think the most important thing is that is uh, muscle oxygen. Hmm. So the distribution of, of oxygen in your body, you can only inhale X amount of oxygen and where it's delivered determines is determined by how much recruitment mm -hmm. occurring in your body at the sure. time. So a lot of people over recruit their upper body on the bike, and I can demonstrate that with mm -hmm. sensors. Um, so that's a big consideration. I want their body to be, I want the, the muscle oxygen going to the legs as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I want their diaphragm to function really, really well. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can actually test that um, using sensors, or you can even have somebody, I mean, you could yourself get on a bike mm -hmm. and go to the drops, take a deep breath in, or move your chain, get your stem closer, take a deep breath. How yep. does that feel? Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, and and when they're symmetrical, so mm -hmm. sy symmetry, muscle oxygen and breath, mm -hmm. not necessarily in that order, although maybe in that order. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, <laughs> those three components are huge, and what that enables a person to do is get faster. Yeah. So if I can make anybody faster from a bike fit, mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that that's sustainable or that it's going to last. Right. My buddy Jerry Gerlich down in Texas loves to tell me he's like, yeah, you know, just slam the saddle, drop the bars. They'll be <laughs> they'll they'll their watts will go up. They'll go up sure. ten watts. Yep. But it won't last. Mm. That's interesting, and I I can vouch for that. You know, personally, when I got a new track bike, and suddenly I was all over the place. I couldn't like get a deep, full deep breath and my shoulders hurt and it was a complete disaster. Even though I had set up the exact same measurements as my old track bike, the geometry of the frame was different enough that I suddenly couldn't breathe. And I was, you know, even slower than I already am. But you understand that. And that's what the, that's what I would say probably the majority of fitters and people and bike shops and manufacturers in the world don't get. Yeah. Geometry impacts fit. Mm -hmm. Same contact points, different geometry. Right impacts fit yep because i don't know who knows yeah. but it does it's it's really a fascinating thing and i had never really sort of i mean i had sort of assumed i'd rented bikes elsewhere and used the same you know measurements and had a great ride when i'd done that and you know so i always take my measurements with me when i travel um but you know that one experience was so enlightening that it was because it was so obvious that i yeah. couldn't breathe anymore yeah. because of that geometry of that bike mm -hmm. now i love it i got it properly fit and i love yeah. it but yeah, it's yeah. it's interesting how that changes. Yeah, it takes time. And you track people have, are a little bit more discerning about your position than most people. We're fussy. <laughs> Which is good. I, yeah. like, I like it. Yeah. But, you know, it's an attractive feature to me because I think that the truth is it, what I'm doing as a bike fitter is I'm just moving you through all the different mm -hmm. variables that you can move yourself through, but yeah. doing it in a way where it's not subjective. Yeah. I mean, I think track and triathlon probably to a certain degree share that it's a very extreme usage of the bike. 
and the way that you're on the bike is so different from, you know, going out for a century ride, for example, that I think we we notice those things more readily. Absolutely. You must do a lot with triathletes, I assume. The majority of my work is with triathletes. Is that right? Or pursuit position. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's a tough, I mean, that's a very aggressive, extreme way to ride a bike. Well, it is and it isn't. I think think that the mistake people make, and there's actually a very popular website that promotes this, and I'm not at all... um, endorsing the idea that we should be completely slammed on a tri bike i mean mm. it makes no sense yeah if you're a time trialist it absolutely makes sense yeah but the time trial position those guys don't have swimming shoulders right so they they you know in, in a bike fit the person hasn't been swimming mm-hmm. i can put somebody on a slice cycle and come into a come and discover a position with them that they feel is the holy grail mm. but it is not going to be like that when they get on their bike right slice cycles don't move from side to side you haven't mm. been swimming and you're not running afterwards yeah. So to me, the bike, in the reality is, the bike should help you recover from swimming and prepare mm-hmm. you for running. Yeah. Because most people know most you can get the most ground running. Right. Um. So yeah, I don't think it has to be extreme. I think it and it, it's it's contingent on the course too. Mm-hmm. But if you exceed your functional hip angle, you're not going to run. Right. Yeah. Period. And if your arms are, if your elbows are touching, you're not going to be able to breathe because you've right. been swimming and your upper body's all, yeah, stuffed up. So I think it's it's really each and everybody's independent. Is every individual is different? I mean, sure. I have people that are they come in and I'm like, twenty two centimeters differential, great, yeah, awesome. And I have people come in that are like three centimeters differential and they're awesome. And both athletes can perform at the top of their field. Wow, interesting. In case you just joined us, you're listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. We're here today with Chris Balzer, the bicycle fit guru, and we're talking all about uh, how to get the most out of your cycling experience uh, through a bike fit. Chris, uh, you've mentioned a few different types of technology that you use, some sensors and typical particular bike fit apparatus. What are some of the things that you have in your studio uh, that you use to work with people? Okay, so here's the deal. I don't use technology bike fitting. Hmm. Um, I did. I actually designed the first integrated EMG 3D protocol. I wow. wrote, the, wrote the program myself. I thought I was smart. 860 operators, 27 markers, ran them up the spine. Um, I looked at everything. It took hmm. me over a year to do because I had to translate the program from Italian, which was hard. Wow. Um, and what I realized is when I started looking at it, it just was, it was beautiful. I, I could hmm. tell the bias of each vertebrae hmm. relative to the horizontal plane, yeah, vertical plane, every, every single, data, single point. data point. Wow. And then I ran an accuracy uh, algorithm for markers mm-hmm. and found that the markers weren't in the right place, which pretty much blew up what I was doing. My idea was wow. I was going to actually come up with a program that would tell you how much to wedge a shoe hmm. or shim a foot. Right. Um, and uh, so the markers weren't right. And so mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I'll fix that. And I got yep. my slide ruler and started measuring the distance between joints and found that the distance between joints is not the same from left right. to right on most people. Interesting. And so significant, most significant was, was C7 to the acromion AC joint, mm-hmm. and from the AC joint to the lateral condyle of the upper arm, and then also the tibia, tibia hmm. length. Boy, that's a big deal. <laughs> it, well, it, it, it was a bummer. You know, I mean, I, I thought I was, like, I was going to introduce this world. Right. And I I've was, solved it. Yeah, it was BTS, I was working with BTS Bioengineering. They're, like, hmm. the, the leading uh, uh, manufacturer of this kind of technology. Yeah. And I realized that it wasn't making sense. And then I had this epiphany moment where, oh, my gosh, we're not symmetrical. So I ran the same tests, marker accuracy test, from the spine because I had the vertebrae on the yep. spine. Mm-hmm. What I discovered is that there's the distance in the trunk, 
the distance from the, the thoracic spine to any joint on the right side of the body is greater than the left. Hmm. And that comes down to the fact we have three lobes. I believe it's not a fact, but my theory yeah. is that we have three lobes of, on the right, two on the left, so we breathe more on the right, therefore the rib cage hmm. is more distended, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Um, so I did that and then started looking at uh, the raw data. So I mm -hmm. thought that I could see stuff with the actual image, the 3D image, and realized that I'm just looking at dots. And no matter how you dress them up, they're still dots. Right. And dots don't have muscles. Right. So then I was like, I thought to myself, I'm going to get this crazy great uh, EMG protocol mm -hmm. for symmetry. So I started using EMG testing left to right. Um, and what I found is that people are not symmetrical. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the same amount of recruitment on either side of their body, nor do they have the same amount of recruitment anterior to posterior muscle groups. Wow. So that blew that out of the water. And I did still use, I use, I use EMG occasionally for um, biofeedback mm -hmm. um, when a person can't really get a muscle to recruit. Sure. And uh, from there, I went to video. I said, okay, well, I've yep. still got video. Video right. is great. So yep. I got really nice cameras, HD, fancy. Mm -hmm. um, but what I saw on the screen wasn't what I was looking at. Wow. Because, well, you know, and so I, I worked on calibration and, and lighting and... Mm -hmm. Lenses and blah, 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 blah. Wow. And what it comes down to is the fact that even, like, one of the things you hear all the time is how people on TV gain 10 pounds. <laughs> and those cameras cost a gazillion bucks. So right. if, a, if, a, if, a, if a million dollar camera can't actually portray a person as they are in life, right. why am I looking through the lens of a camera to right. fix someone? Wow. Why am I using joint angles when muscle recruitment is everything? One of the ideas we have in the bike fitting industry is that knee over pedal spindle at mm -hmm. 38 degrees, 37, whatever the knee yep. angle is. Yep. Um, but that's just not, it's old, that's old thinking that's, mm. that's oversimplified. What yeah. causes knee pain is overuse of the quadriceps muscle. It's mm. anterior knee pain. So if you use just your quads, the pedal, yep. you are more likely to have knee pain because those muscles attach to your kneecap. Right. And they pull it into the, into sure the femur, which is why you look at a lot of pro cyclists, their yep. saddles, from a bike fit perspective, look really low, right? But because they're using their glutes, yeah, it makes a lot more no sense. problems. That's really interesting. Yeah. So I look at the muscles. You know, over years I've been able to see. I see how high the quadriceps pulls, mm -hmm. and I look to see if the biceps femoris fires, and then I look to see if they plantar flex, which is the pointing of the toe. Right. And then I adjust things around that hmm. to find what's most effective, and it's, yeah. it works very well. It sounds like you sort of take a macro view first to see what's the big issues. Yep. And then through that iterative process you talked about, you change to, and refine it. And, yep. and I listen mm -hmm. and I look. Yeah. You know, I mean, I listen to the sound of the pedal stroke. If they've got a lurchy pedal stroke, I have to figure out why. Yeah. I look at the chain. Is the chain bouncing? If the chain is bouncing, there's something wrong. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's really looking at the person, touching the person, talking to the person, mm -hmm. and observing the person. You know, you walk into my studio, there's a, there's a bike fit platform, and 20 feet in, in, on either side and behind with about 10 feet in front so that I can really observe the person from as many angles as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you, uh, you talked a little bit about follow-up visits and that kind of thing and, and tracking performance over time. What kinds of things do you do after that first session to keep people going in the right direction? So the, the follow-up follow is uh, a security measure, but it's also to uh, adjust for the compensation that occurs from the first fitting. Right. A, per, a body in a state of tension will remain in a state of tension. Mm -hmm. uh, people that come to me that have, you know, they're like, well, my saddle needs to be here within two millimeters. I, my answer is you need to go do something off the bike to make it so your body can accommodate a broader range of movement. Right. Because it shouldn't be two millimeters. Yeah. 
Um, but what I've found is if I make a person comfortable and symmetrical on a bike, the bike, their body unwinds. Hmm. So if I have a lot of weight on my hands, yep. there's a lot of tension, and my body's holding that tension, and it shortens the trunk right. when you're in a horizontal position. Mm-hmm. So when I get the weight out of the hands, they're deep stabilizers that yep. hold each vertebrae relative to the next, start firing through the large mobilizers, mm. and the body extends and functions better. Right. So typically the saddle goes up, bars go down. Interesting. And I've gotten, I mean, and so that's my whole, my whole approach to this has been if I make a person comfortable, they're released. I'll make yeah. a person comfortable, they're released. Hmm. Now I have to be able to adjust the bike in a way that they can address that release. Yeah. Some of these integrated cockpit bikes, that's hard to do with. But yeah, um, yeah. so it's, it's for that. And it's also to check my work and make sure everything's good mm-hmm. because I want everybody to have a good outcome. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting because as I'm listening to the way you describe the outcomes, it sounds like in some ways you are trying to change the body, you know, and the way it works on the bike. And in other ways, you're trying to make the bike work in favor of the of the body. You know the, what I mean? Yep. Because if you make the bike work in favor of the body, the body will let go. Right. The body doesn't like being on a bike. It doesn't like something <laughs> between its legs. No, no. I, I mean... I like to tell people, they're like, well, cycling is good for you. I'm, no, it isn't good for you. It isn't. It's like standing at your desk, looking at your computer mar- monitor, marching in place for six hours. That's your century. Right. You know, yeah. so it's hard to make the body understand how to do this. So yeah. all these different things have to come into play. And then when the body relaxes, mm-hmm. then the fit can occur. Interesting. You talked a lot about the uh, earlier, the, the whole af- idea of off the bike changes that people can make and some of the other things that they can do strength training that sort of stuff um and it resonates with me because i have terrible posture when i sit at my computer you know i sit all day basically and my posture is horrible and i get on the bike and i slouch and my head like completely turtles into my chest and you know it's and and i can see that and then when i recognize it i change that but what are the things that you work with people to in their off the bike environment to help solve bike related problems so I have a network of people mm-hmm. um, that I use. I've got, you know, uh, everything from uh, moderate to complex uh, network. Mm-hmm. So people, I got this guy, Sean Kitzman, he, Anatomy in Motion. It's mm-hmm. where the talus impacts the way mm-hmm. you, you move. This guy, Jeremy Sartain, awesome mm-hmm. body worker. Uh, Maggie, it's so hard for me to pronounce her name, but she's a physical therapist. She owns Motion. She's a, an amazing physical therapist. Mm. She has actually been able to promote more change in a cyclist in six months than I've ever seen. Wow. Um, and typically it goes the other way because physical therapist training is to make it so that you function as a human being standing with your right. low yeah. which is not, it's the exact opposite of what you need on a bike. So she's amazing. I have doctors, um, and I see a person, I know what they need. I send them out. Yep. Um, I recommend all cyclists do off, off bike strength training. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily believe, and this is going to be the controversial part of this answer is that slouching well does not make you a bad cyclist. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Good. So, all right. So I don't the, suck uh, as much as yeah, I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you don't have to have good, po- like if somebody's really, if they're professional cyclists and they are just racing, I don't try to undo their kyphosis. Interesting. Because that's their profession. Right. And it, they'll pay for it. Right. Um, but it but it really comes down to how effective are your stabilizers? Mm-hmm. How effective do you move? Yep. Are you driving force mm-hmm. or are you reacting to force? Mm. And if anything, like my buddy Greg Choate says, you know, the body gets stronger by lifting things. Right. So go lift some stuff. Yep. Interesting. Under supervision. Because yeah. Because we have no idea what we're doing, right? Yeah. Um, and I don't I don't prescribe any specific type of exercises workout. Mm-hmm. I definitely Look at what they're doing mm-hmm. because I, most people are doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and I'm and I'm saying that because if if you do something, it should target the muscle that you're trying to mm-hmm. to help. Um, and I'm a big I'm a big fan of Pilates, hmm. and I don't like Pilates and I don't do Pilates, but I'm a big <laughs> fan of it because because what happens in Pilates cycling is one of the only sports where your pelvis is in a fixed and symmetrical yep. position from an oblique, obliquity and rotation, mm-hmm. and the body moves. Yep. Pilates is one of the only exercises where you get that pelvis into a neutral position before you start moving the body. Interesting. And I got to believe that the core strength that you build through a Pilates type workout or yoga or something similar is got to enhance your connections through to your legs as well. It does. And, you know, I taught yoga for 15 years and, and I, I think yoga is great. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's the best for cyclists. I think that we overemphasize hamstring flexibility for cycling. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I think lumbar mobility is better than hamstring flexibility yeah. mm-hmm. and lumbar mobility the wrong way. Right. Uh, the cathodic way. Mm. And the reason is because uh, hamstrings are strong. Yeah. Right. You know, hamstrings are strong. They serve a function yeah. when you're pedaling a bike. Yep. And if you make them real loose, they serve less function. If yep. you, a back is not necessary. Your back is not pedaling the bike, or it yeah. shouldn't be. Right. It should be moving. Yeah. So. You know, I think uh, I think you were uh, you taught a yoga class I took. You you subbed for a teacher that I was taking classes from at the uh, Minneapolis Yoga Center. Mm-hmm. This would have been, geez, 15 years ago probably, yeah. and I think you uh, you taught it. That was before we had met yeah, yeah. through bike-related stuff, I remember uh, meeting you uh, at that the class. That was my other life before yeah. I got too busy to do it. <laughs> it's a good good problem to have, it right? It is a good problem. It is a good yeah. problem. Yep. You, uh, you mentioned that a lot of your clients come in with a new bike fit. Do they come in typically before they buy that bike or after they've bought it and want to dial it in? So typically before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's just over the years, having seen, I see my clients multiple times, I think that they just learned that yep. um, no matter what somebody says, they're trying to sell you bikes. Yep. People are trying to sell bikes. For sure. I have an excellent relationship with Now Bike in St. Paul. Mm-hmm. They Just up the street here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They've got this mechanic, Ambrose Reagan, who can get my, I, I put, a, put a client on a fit bike. I set them up. I know it's not going to be for the final fit, yep. but it gives me a good enough starting point that I can then take that data put into a bike CAD yep. and come up with and compare different manufacturers frames hmm. and adjust and send that data to Ambrose and he can set it up within millimeters. Wow. And Rich Sherman, the salesperson there that I use, he's mm-hmm. also one of my best friends is just phenomenal as a person. He understands, he knows componentry. You know, yeah. one of the things that we miss is you can't just go to a biomechanics specialist and expect to, to get everything that you need for biking. Right. Because People like Rich know exactly how each shoe fits, sure. where it's wide, yeah. etc. And so I usually, I used to think that I'm like, oh, you need a lake, or you need a specialized, right. you need a Shimano. Yep. And I and I I do believe that I have I have a, a decent understanding of which one of those shoes do. Mm-hmm. But each model's different. Yeah. So I send them out to him. Interesting. And he gets it straight. Yeah. And then depending on you know if the customer's working on three, looking at three or four different bikes. You can yep. kind of dial through the process for each one and yep. optimize and I, that. Absolutely, and I definitely, I definitely have a bias, mm-hmm. and I tell them that. Yeah, you know, there's certain brands which I just over the years watching people come in with their bikes. Yep, the happiness rating. <laughs> um, if you're really happy, then I start to like that bike. Man, yeah, sure. Yep. yep, yep. I like the black ones usually. Yeah, yeah, I do. Too. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the uh, the services that you offer are pretty uh, independent of uh, bike, but at the same time. There's been a lot of changes in uh, bike frames. You talked about the integrated cockpits, mm-hmm. uh, the aero whole aero bike frame for road bikes. Gravel is a big thing now, mm-hmm. and you've even started doing a fat bike uh, service. What have some of those trends in riding style done as far as bike fit are concerned? So from from the for the fat bike stuff, it's actually been doing them for about 
10 years, 10 years now. Wow. Uh, when Since they first when they out, were starting to be a thing. Just when they started. As yeah. a matter of fact, the Penn Minnetonka store was one of the, I would say, probably started the kickoff for Fat Bikes and hmm. stuff because there was this guy uh, that worked there um, that just really was into Fat Bikes. Hmm. So I got a custom trainer that took huge bikes, yep. invested in all the wheels. You know, you need to have every yeah, yeah, single yeah. solitary hub size for the back. Right. Um, and I had no business for four years, five years, mm. none. And then I started sponsoring the salsa team mm-hmm. and worked with just their riders, still had no business. Yep. And I started helping out with 45 North mm-hmm. with their frame design yep. and, um, and give a discount to people there. Mm-hmm. I started getting some people, um, and, but for the last three years, it's been constant. That's and great. so it was, a, it was a smart business decision because mm-hmm. people ride fat bikes. Right. And it isn't so much that the fit is so much different, and it, and it, and it is. It's usually more upright. More yep. you need to really focus on balance because yep. if you're too if you're too front biased, you're going to wash out, and if right. you're too rear biased, you're not going to be able to turn. Yep. Um, but it's having the trainer. It's being yeah. able to do it. Sure. You know, being able to do it to have all of the different parts mm-hmm. that are necessary to make that happen. Yeah. For integrated cockpits, absolutely need to be pre-fit on it. Don't buy a used integrated cockpit bike. That's yeah. A, it's a nightmare. Yeah. You need to be pre-fit. I believe integrated cockpits are amazing for people that have been fit to the degree that they're not changing much anymore. Right. Um, where it's a where it's a couple millimeters, yep. maybe a centimeter, and not you know four centimeters a season yeah. of differential change. Right. The other thing about integrated cockpits is that they must rotate. They have to rotate. Mm-hmm. Aero uh, for um, aero bikes as well as pursuit position as well as road bikes hmm. because. Our wrist, our hands have a lot of sensory feedback yeah, information. You if you make a hand unhappy, it affects the nervous system. You and bet your it nervous does. system affects everything. So yep. um, it should be neutral. Everything should be neutral. The mm-hmm. pressure distribution at the hand, at the elbow, at the forearms, the wrist, everything should be neutral. Yep. Therefore, you can forget about that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I dread the used <laughs> integrated cockpit because... They come in and I and I'm like, okay, well, it's going to cost you $150 to get this recabled after yep. I fit it, and I'm snipping the cables because I don't have time to do it. Wow. Um, Aero road bikes, great, comfortable, not so much. <laughs> and I know people will say, oh, but mine's comfortable. Yeah. Comfortable relative to what? Yeah. Really, I mean, it, it carbon is the whole idea with the damping and the carbon and stuff like that. I think is a little bit of marketing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's carbon is is stiff, it's rigid, right. and if you start to make those tubes vertical, yeah. It gets stiffer, right? Um, are they faster? Absolutely. Sure. You know, I mean, it's it's palpable. Yeah. For sure. So, it really depends on what you need. And the gravel's huge. I mean, mm-hmm. Slow Twitch is actually coming up with a whole new gravel fit training system. Really? Um, yeah. And I think it's I think they might be doing because it it's marketable. But sure. The fact is, is that gravel's huge. Minnesota's big into gravel. Yeah. Um, and I think that as much as it's important. I think the position is important. Remember, we talked about geometry. Yep, geometry is everything for gravel. It is yeah. not a cross bike. It is not a road no. bike. Um, I think frame materials are everything mm-hmm. for gravel. I think that that carbon may not be the best material for gravel. I know so many people who love their steel gravel bikes. Yep, steel yeah. would be my preferred choice, except mm-hmm. that it has corrosive properties. Right. So, I I I sell, I sell I've sold probably forty fifty seven. Uh, evergreen hmm. that's the seven custom yep. evergreen mm-hmm. bikes yep and virtually everybody loves them and the reason is that seven can tune the titanium titanium by itself does not ensure a good bike right being able to have uh to manipulate the tubing so that it's swaged, butted tapered blah blah mm-hmm. blah yep specific to a person's 
size, riding characteristics, et cetera, makes yep. all the difference. So they really long chain stays, really mm-hmm. skinny seat stays, yep. big bottom bracket, yeah. you know, all this stuff for gravel. And so I think that's huge. Cervelo just came out with a new gravel bike that I really like. It's mm. like six grand. It's got carbon rims. I mean, I love wow. all that fancy yeah. stuff. Um, but yeah, a lot of them, I think that, you know, you, the, the, the best thing you can do if you have a carbon gravel bike is get big fat tires and run low pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, because especially given the variety of, of terrain that you're going to encounter. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. I mean, you might go from pancake flat to mud or, you know, solid rock basically in two or three miles. Exactly. And yeah. I think the thing about it is that I think why people love it is because it's not, it's social. Right. I mean, my, I, I used to train on the road for mountain biking mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, we talk occasionally, but really most of the time you're focusing. Yeah. Focusing, focusing, focusing. Right. Um, and in road racing, you're really focused. Yeah. You know, because God forbid you look at your front tire where everybody else takes off. <laughs> yeah. But with gravel, you're just, you're out. Right. So you can talk to people. It's social. Most yeah. people, you can, you can compete in an event and not have to think that you, it's important that you crush it. Yeah. Yep. It's almost to me like the 5K of cycling now. You know, it sort of feels like that mentality, that mindset. That, it's more relaxed. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm old. And (laughs) uh, stuff changes, right? How frequently do you recommend that people come in for a fit? It depends on the person. Sure. You know, I, 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 so with development riders, I try to get them to learn how to make adjustments on their own because Mm. ultimately that's a good thing to be able to do. Absolutely. So if your saddle feels low, raise it up a little bit on a ride and see if it feels high. Right. I mean, and if, and, and all you have to do is just not, don't make huge adjustments. Right. But for these development riders, these kids that are coming up, and I see some really promising riders. We have some fast folks in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, I'm like, you need to go mess around. Go take a five millimeter wrench on your bike. Yep. And go move stuff around. Yep. And then come back and let me t- and tell me what you think. Yeah. And I can put it back to where it was, but I am 99% sure you're going to find a better place. Interesting. You know? Yeah. And you need to learn how your body evolves. and Well, that's right. I mean, to get that sort of self-awareness of what your body likes and doesn't like and how it performs, that's huge for those yep. kids. Yep. Yeah. And for people that are, that have injuries, mm-hmm. um, if their injury is resolved, I usually, re- I re- usually suggest that they come back less often. Right. Because you have to build, it's like growing a garden. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're, you're finally not in pain. People, when they get out, as soon as somebody doesn't have symptoms, they want to be a great, they want, oh, I need <laughs> I'm to gonna go ride 500 million miles, yeah, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. So, and for most, for your average person who's new to triathlon or new to a, new to the sport, I say, you know, every year come in mm-hmm. people that have been in it because, because their body changes so sure. rapidly Yeah, and people that have been doing it for a long time, I usually tell them to use their best judgment. Hmm. Yeah. Makes you know? sense. I mean, your body's going to tell you, It'll tell right? You. Yeah. yeah. You, uh, you've obviously worked with some, some pretty prominent athletes along the way. You've sponsored a number of teams. Um, I know, you know, personally from, um, watching what you guys have talked about, you and Daniel Casper have done a lot of work. Um, and, it's been interesting to me to see some of those conversations because the, the fine tuning is so intricate and minute, but the change can be so dramatic. I mean, we talked about, you know, he talked about right before he went to nationals this year, making a pretty revolutionary change in his position relative to his head height. And, and he, you know, set a PR, I think this year, Mm -hmm. I mean, I got at least another record. So, you know, talk a little bit about the difference between what you do for somebody like that, as opposed to, you know, a, everyday cyclist so dan is an interesting case because he has a body mm-hmm. that is different than everybody else's or yep. not everybody else's but well everybody else's but but predominantly the track loop he rides yep. his saddle way forward so yep. the hardest thing with him is making it so that he can breathe 
Hmm. We have tried a bunch of stuff. That yeah. that that boast he did on Facebook, we, we actually undid. He actually undid some of that because hmm. it just wasn't working. Interesting. It might have looked better. It's yeah. a perfect example. Here's Dan. He's wanted to keep his head down. Now he's got it. He's dropped into his shoulders. Everybody says, you look great, man. Yeah. You're going to crush it. Right. And he gets out there and he tests it. No, it's not as good as it is. Interesting. So most of what we kept was a little bit wider hand position. Okay. A um, little bit of rotation yep. in the arm pads. Um, and, but really for him, it's because of UCI regulations that I can't get him to be... If I could rate, extend Dan three centimeters, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, you talk about a PR, he would right. kill it. Because he just he's so tight, it's hard to breathe. You yeah, know? yeah. But he functions well that way. Yeah. And he's functioned that way for a long time. Right. So when Dan comes in, we work together. I don't say, Dan, this is what you got to do. And I think he appreciates it because a lot of people have said that. They yep. say, you got to get your saddle back. Or yeah, you gotta yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, and so it's little things. It's, mm-hmm. you know, filing the ends of his extensions so that they're closer to uh, UCI guidelines. Wow. And so you can get him far, farther, but still not. Yeah, yeah. And oh, all the different funny. things. Like, you know, so you can only go so far. Well, what can we do to make it so you feel like you're further? Can we right. rotate them up? Yeah, we rotate them up. It drives, it actually lengthens sure. your trunk. Right. Forces his elbows out farther yeah, and yeah, hands yeah, up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. So we try all that stuff and what works, works and what doesn't, doesn't. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, the only thing that I, that I will say about Dan, and he may be listening to this, is that. You know, he wants to go for it. He's like, let's yep. do 155 cranks. I'm like, not this season, man. I'm like, you're, <laughs> wow. you're crank, just, I don't want to mess with it. Um, I think he, I think he'll kill it with 155 cranks because remember, it's the top of the pedal stroke. Right. It was actually Greg Lamond who was the first person to tell me he rides 145. Wow. He, he said, Bolzer, why would you, why would you want to do a deep squat? That's almost three centimeters shorter mm-hmm. than somebody that like what you get in this, in this bike shop. Yep. Wow. But his, but his reasoning was that, was that, um, why would you do deep squat? Yeah. And that's what started me thinking about it. Huh. Because and, and there's a lot of and then you know there's research for the triathletes as well. Right. Sense and blah blah yeah. blah blah. Um but yeah, wow. crank length doesn't matter. And there's research to support it. And it's if so for some people it takes it takes some accommodation. You definitely sure. have to change the saddle positioning. But um hmm. it was a revelation for me, man. I was all about like, you know, I remember saying to somebody, I was with a a person who was shadowing me and the guy came and he's like, yeah, man, I can climb so well on 155s. And I literally said to the guy, no, you can't. <laughs> I said, you can't climb better with 155s because it's a shorter, it's, you're, right. you have less leverage. Sure. Yeah. What I wasn't looking at is the fact that you have at least three joints driving that leverage. Right. And each joint has a moment arm that acts on the joint. Yep. And the deeper that joint is in flexion, the less effective that moment sure. arm is. So. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes full circle back to what we talked about earlier. There's, you know, the, the pure mechanics, the physics of a lever, yeah. and then there's how the body works while it's pushing that lever. Exactly, and it's completely different. Yeah, that's fascinating. So, what what was what's so, uh, like if you had one success story where you said this client came in, it was a disaster, it was ailing, whatever, and you changed their life with a bike fit. I would probably be a guy that I'd never met. Hmm. A person contacted me on the phone. He had been fit like six times. Wow. He had paid for each fit. Had tone up, foot numbness, feet hmm. were numb, and uh, he had tried uh, orthotics, insoles, different shoes, mm-hmm. different wedging, different shimming, different fitters, setback plates, midfoot cleat placement, and and he he wrote me this email with those yeah. and I said, what medications are you on? Hmm. And he listed the medications, and I did the research, and his foot numbness was caused by the medications. Wow! And he stopped taking the medication, and his foot wow. numbness went away. That's amazing. Yep. And you didn't touch a didn't, thing. I didn't, on his even, bike. didn't even. I don't even know what he looks like. That's fascinating. It's incredible how many of those off the bike things 
uh, can affect the way you ride. And the great thing for me is now I'm coming up with all kinds of excuses for why I'm so slow. Mm-hmm. Right on, <laughs> me too. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, how do people learn more about what you do and, and how to get in touch with you? So I have a website, Bicycle Fit Guru. Okay. Um, if people want to schedule, they can schedule online. Uh, I'll be honest, and, and the best time to get in to see me is probably between November and January because during the season I'm three months out. Wow. I do work seven days a week, and I work a lot. No kidding. Um, but I fit 900 people last year, and wow. it's hard to get that many people in. Yeah. What, uh, what, what can people expect to pay for a good bike fit? Well, if you're just, so people that want to get like an existing bike fit checked or redone, yep. if they yep. have shoes and they're pretty happy with their saddle, blah, 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 about 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, people that want to get the full deal, it's $350, mm-hmm. 300 for road, 350 for try. Um, people with complex issues, it's 600 bucks. And that involves uh, quite a few visits mm-hmm. and uh, me working with healthcare pro- providers, theirs or my own network yep. um, with a positive outcome guarantee if you do everything we say. Wow. That's it, you know, it's a lot, but it's yeah. it seems like a pretty compelling result. Well, if, for people that have tried everything, yeah, that's what those are the people that I get with that. Yeah, yeah. wow. Well, Chris, this has been fantastic. I can't believe we've been talking for an hour already. Oh, yeah, me too. yeah, I'm really pre- I appreciate you coming into the show. I've got to say one thing, yeah. Zoe Balzer, your daddy is mentioning you on the radio. I know you wanted me to do that, and I'm doing it. I'm sorry it took so long. Zoe has helped me with bike fitting quite a bit. Really, she tells me everything I do wrong. Oh, that it's important to have uh, you know a constructive feedback, right? Mm, yes, it is. <laughs> All right, Chris, thanks again for coming into the show. You've been listening to Blast Beats and Bicycles here at 91.7 FM, McAllister College Radio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Bicycle, bicycle, I want to ride my bicycle, bicycle, bicycle. I want to ride my bicycle, I want to ride my bike, I want to ride my bicycle, I want to ride it where I Say white, say bar, I say bite, say shark, I say him and George was never my scene and I don't like Star Wars. Say Rose, I say Royce, say God, give me a choice. I say Christ, I don't believe in Peter Pan, Frankenstein or Superman.
say Kane. You say John. I say Wayne. Hot dog. I say Cola Man. I don't wanna be the president of America. Say Smiles. I say Cheese. Cartier. I say Please. Income tax. I say Jesus. I don't wanna be a king. 